Bloody Elbow presents the MMA Vivisection, the show that gives you a comprehensive breakdown and expert analysis of all the fights happening on this weekend's UFC card. Here are your hosts, Zane Simon and Connor Rebush. Hey everybody, welcome back to the MMA Vivisection with me, Zane Simon, and my co-host, as always, Connor Rebush. We're here once again talking about UFC 277 going down in Dallas, Texas this week. Headlined by a pair of title fights, Juliana Pena rematching Amanda Nunes for the women's bantamweight title, Brandon Moreno and Kai Car France facing off for an interim flyweight belt. We're talking about the prelims right now, though, with a featured prelim bout between Alex Morono and Matthew Semmelsberger. That um, I'm not really sure why this fight got made, honestly. Like, what what, what would you expect otherwise? I mean, Morono's kind of paid all his dues. and I don't, I don't care. I know. It just seems like, you know, he beat Donald Cerrone, fought David Zawada, which is a super underrated fight that nobody's going to care about, beat Mickey Gall, who, you know, is somebody people know about and don't care about anymore. And Semmelsberger is very much in the, like... He's fun, but nobody knows about or cares about this dude at all. That's why I'm not surprised. I mean, he's yeah. The Cerrone fight should have been the breakthrough. That was now two fights ago. It's true. You had two fights that are essentially this fight, where it's dangerous, but who cares? Yeah, it's just. Uh, I guess it's 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 weird to, for me to see him keep on getting these fights. Maybe it's something to do. Maybe it's something in Morano because he's like got this whole like coach thing going now, and maybe. he. Maybe he's got a realistic sense that he's never going to be champ. I don't know. I don't want to put that, you know, too heavy on him because it's not. I, I wouldn't give too much of the responsibility to him at all. I'm sure Morono would be perfectly happy to take another step up. Um, yeah. Just, you know, it, it, I'm just wondering if there's like a James Krause thing going on where at this point Krause is just kind of like taking fights whenever he feels about like it. And it doesn't seem to matter against two. It's just when he feels like it. Yeah. Except Morono is still crazy active. I mean. Yeah, that's not okay. not at an unreasonable rate, but way more active than James Krause. Yeah, yeah, he fought three times last year. Yeah, I mean, more active than a lot of guys on the roster. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I just think the promotion probably doesn't care about Alex Morono, and and I, I kind of get why. But I, you know, you and I both love him. I mean, I would love mm-hmm. to see him get another uh, another step up, and he probably would lose it. But he's, but he, uh, you know, you win two or three fights in a row, you keep, you should keep deserving yeah. those kinds steps up to try yourself again yeah absolutely especially because this is welterweight and there's so many fringe contenders who just cannot get a match up to save their lives against ranked fighters yeah. like throw morono in there you, maybe you'll probably beat him he's the kind of matchup you might take um because it feels relatively low risk but it's not really that low risk he's going to make yeah. you fight for it at the very least put him in there with like you know jeremiah wells or randy brown guys like that yeah you know wells is not maybe he's only as new to the UFC as Semmelsberger, but he's already in his late thirties and is clearly like yeah, looking to make a push. And Brown has been around for a long time too. And he's another mid card action guy. And other guys who now have a, you know, a little momentum, a few eyeballs on him. Yeah. I'm with you. I just, I'm not surprised. This is like right in line with what he's the matchups he's mostly been getting anyway. So it's true. It's just weird to see to me because like, I don't know why you would track, Morono into just fighting guys only at the bottom of the division doesn't I don't get it uh-huh yeah I don't know um he might win I mean th- this 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 being on a similar kind of level it seems like a perfectly winnable fight for Morono yeah I mean, are he, you are you picking Semmelsberg I think there's I think it'll be close I mean I'm not super sure. confident in Morono okay. but I do think there's enough of a, a sort of um, sloppy chaos Williams in Alex Morono. That uh, Burger, huh? Wait, wait, oh, oh, I see what you mean. Yeah, that Simmelsberger lost to Chaos Williams, and Morono can do a sort of muffin top version of that performance. Yeah, fair. I, I got a little confused because Chaos Williams also iced Morono. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, just just being like a reckless puncher who puts combinations together, uh, but also has enough craft to set those combinations up. Morono's mm-hmm. got a good jab. He jabs to the body. He throws lots of punches to the body. In fact, he will throw super duper hard kicks off of his punches. Um, 
and will take the fight everywhere and, and be really scrappy, I am inclined to pick him. Mm-hmm. Problem is, is that he he's also, I mean, he's not as hittable as it seems like he should be. Yeah, he's he, he tends to pick his spots and know what what chances yeah. he wants to take and when. He's aware and yeah. uh, isn't just going to stand in range. But he's his positioning is so like I'm, I'll say unorthodox because that's a nice word. You know, his knees yeah. are unbent. He's just standing there with his chin in the air. His footwork is weird and bouncy. Yeah, but he, you know, he, he studied the BJ Penn Lake Career yes. School of Boxing. Yes. When Penn um, was trying that really awkward to- tippy-toe thing. Yeah, or Sean Strickland-esque, if you will. I mean, yeah, yeah. This weird uprightness about him. But he is, like Sean Strickland, you know, he's aware. He will move his head. And I think the saving grace is that he looks so hittable that people can't help but try. And then they're shocked by how good of a counterpuncher he is. Yeah. Um, I'd like, I mean, that kind of is the case for Strickland as well. Like you just, you have to take a swing at him. You got to lunge in, he's wide open, and then he hits you really hard. So I'm, I'm going to take Morono because I think Semmelsberger is quite counterable. Mm-hmm. And he, despite, I assume he has a reach advantage here. Even if he doesn't, it's going to look like it. Some 75 inch reach is pretty solid. Yeah. Morono 73. Yeah. Um, and taller too. Yeah, but despite that, he still tends to overcommit mm-hmm. uh, and overreach and come in too hard after people trying to knock them out. And um, yeah, Morono's going to slug him in the belly when he reaches him with the right hand, and, and and that'll set the tone for a lot of their exchanges. But Semmelsberger yeah. hits hard, and he's got the reach, and he's you can absolutely hit Morono super clean. And yeah. like, there is a physical ceiling for Morono, and I'm I'm, uh, you know, it's always a a dicey question of can his just sort of weird craft uh, and toughness carry him through. It often does, but yeah, an old Anthony Pettis beat him up just by still being some version of Anthony Pettis. Like there's a barrier. It's true. Yeah. I think the thing with Semmelsberger that we've seen uh, and that I'm not at all convinced has dynamically changed yet is that he's still trying to figure out exactly what kind of fighter he needs to be because he got to the UFC very much as a guy who has some power and otherwise depends on being tough and riding through things and keeping that power and keep being willing to stand in the pocket, you know, and you know, you, so there are a couple first-round knockouts with, sprinkled in there for him because he's got some power. But there were a lot of really hard-fought, multiple-round fights, even on his, even on the regionals, where he wouldn't necessarily separate himself out all that well early on, and it was just a, yeah. you know, biting down and throwing through. And then he had that Chaos Williams fight, and for the first time, it was like, okay, here's somebody who can just throw harder than you, and will be there the whole time as well. Yeah. And what are you going to do? And it took all the way into the third round for him to like dig down and be like, okay, no, I still have to bite down and fight my fight. Because if I don't fight my fight, this guy is going to win absolutely no matter yeah. what. And I thought he answered pretty well, to be honest. Yeah. yeah I mean, it did. was an impressive loss. Yeah. But, but that, that still tells you there's a process that he's going through a learning process to figure that out. And then he gets a quick knockout over Martin Santa, who should never have been in the cage uh, with him at all or in the UFC at all. It was a weird sort of like charity. We're bringing the Diaz's back. And so we're bringing <laughs> one of their boys back too, kind of thing where Santa hadn't fought for like five years and was coming off a loss and, and got, just got instantly murdered. Yeah. Just yeah. got smushed. Um, and then he fights a newcomer in AJ Fletcher, and Fletcher goes out there and makes the fight really hard on Semmelsberger. And Semmelsberger once again digs deep and finds the right answers and battles back this time to a win, mm-hmm. but against a pretty raw talent in AJ Fletcher who burned himself out yeah. pretty hard early, assuming that he could get Semmelsberger to go away because he's going through the same process yeah. that Semmelsberger did. And, it, and his happened. only real uh, advantage was his wrestling, and once yeah. that stopped being quite as functional. He he didn't really have anything. And so, yeah, Morono, that should be a fight that he can win. Mm-hmm. If he's got somebody in front of him who is still trying to solve those problems and figure those things out about himself, about how he 
you know, how, how he makes sure controls every round of a fight. Morono knows how to do that. He's he's such a functional fighter while being so completely dysfunctional technically. Yeah, yeah. like he will. Uh, if he thinks he can go out there and hit takedowns on you, he'll go out yeah, yeah. there and take you down. Mm-hmm. If he thinks that he can, he needs to pressure and needs to back you up and throw wild and get you on your heels, he'll go out and do that. If he thinks that he needs to counter punch and he needs to let you come to him so that he can counter strike, he will do that. He will, he will try to craft the fight to beat you. And I don't know, you know, this, it, this could be a very, that could make this a very, um, Nico Price like fight mm-hmm. from Morono, mm-hmm. where he, you know, he comes out and he's just winning, and then Price just and and then Semmelsberger just like finds a punch that just sure. takes him out of it. Yep. And that's always a danger with Morono, but I don't. I think that he can. I don't think that Semmelsberger is that crazy powerful in the way that Price is. And I think that Morono can find ways to just keep him on his heels, keep him having to, to try to figure things out. And maybe Semmelsberger has a great third round in a fight that he's already been backed up and gotten eaten the harder shots for a couple of rounds in or been taken down and pushed against the cage and controlled for a bit that has made the fight just a little too ugly and hard and not yeah. exactly what he was prepared for, for, for two good rounds of it. So I'll, I'll take Morono too. I mean, I would say one advantage there that Morono has over Chaos Williams um, as the fight goes late is that he's a pretty consistent attritive striker. Mm-hmm. He works the body and the legs quite well. And yeah. that might make it harder to find that rally late if he manages to kind of break Semmelsberger down a bit. He's just, sure. he's the ideal Fortis MMA fighter. Like him and Bilal Muhammad, like these not entirely athletic guys to become Muhammad is like a world-class athlete compared to Morono. Muhammad's Duke Rufus too, isn't he? I think he does. He's trained at Fortis as well. Okay. He's definitely had safe side in his corner more than once. Um, but these guys are just, they're aggressive inherently and mm-hmm. super coachable. And so you can just sort of channel their aggression down a variety of paths that lead them to winning. Uh, yeah, Morono's a very flexible fighter, basically. Yeah, I mean, he's a, he's a lot like Joshua Kulabau, where yeah. you know Kulabau is is building the same kind of reputation and ability. Where you're like, okay, this guy's not a great athlete, he's not the toughest dude in the world. Yeah, but he just always shows up with a game plan that that starts out with the ability to beat an opponent, and it'll be up to them to try to figure out how to stop that from happening. Mm-hmm. And a lot of fighters don't adjust that well. They don't, you know, if you if you start out solving them, they don't tend to have an easy answer. You know? Right. So, yeah, just for Semmelsberger, I think he could find it. I think he can find a way to will his way to, to being in this fight late, but it, it might start out pretty bad for him. Yeah, that seems very reasonable. Morono opened at minus 110 and jumped straight up to plus 145 and is currently plus 134. Semmelsberger opened at minus 110, jumped straight down to minus 170, is currently minus 162. I, yeah, I mean, like, Morono's beat, you know, he beat Max Griffin. Like, Matthew, I don't really understand that Matthew Semmelsberger's best win to date is AJ Fletcher. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. No, Morono's wins are all of that type where they're like unglamorous but impressive. Yeah, I'm, I'm just trying to figure out why Morono's the underdog here. Like, yeah. Beating a faded Donald Cerrone is way more than we've ever seen out of Matthew Semmelsberger to date. Beating Rice McKee, or Reese yeah. McKee, is almost is more than we've seen out of Matthew Semmelsberger to date. It's, it's or close Mickey to that, Gall. It's close to that level, for sure. 
What do you think of Semmelsberger's nickname? Semi the Jedi? Yeah. I think it's really lame. It kind of annoys me on several fronts. Yeah. Like, that first of all, it doesn't really rhyme as much as you want it to. No. And then semi I get is from Semmelsberger, but it makes me want to pronounce it as semi. Yeah. Because that seems like semi a natural. Semi the Yeti. <laughs> right? Why not semi the Yeti? Uh, you know? Because uh-huh. semi feels like a natural nickname for Semmelsberger. I don't know. No one's calling this dude semi. No. I don't know. It's, it's... I don't know, Matt. <sighs> yeah. I mean, it seems like. Yeah, I don't know what a better nickname would have been, but I I don't love it. I'm also <laughs> like I, I, the, the sad thing is for me as a big movie nerd, I love I grew up loving Star Wars. Yeah, I love the original Star Wars movies. They are really honestly fantastic pieces of fiction mm-hmm. that did you know they really have a great place in the history of science fiction and cinema for what they gave us. They they gave they gave audiences a view of alien life on alien planets that looks and feels real in a way that it never did before. Before you all got all we got was like painted deserts with like weird je- jelly blobs on them or like oh a yeah. ray that that flies through the air. You yeah, know it's a real gritty like lived in feeling in the Star Wars world. Yeah, you got ice planets with like snow monsters, you got rainforest planets with you know little like furry woodland creatures. You got you got plant desert planets with big lizards and things that just felt right. And almost shades of like alien, like the yeah. the, the workaday aspect of living yeah. in space is pretty cool. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was space was dirty and it was lived in and it was, you know, a hard place to be. That said, my God, I hate Star Wars at this point <laughs> in my life. Yeah, yeah. It has been run <laughs> into the ground so, so far that I cannot care about it even a little anymore. And so when I see somebody like picking it up at this point mm-hmm. and making it a part of their, their personality. Yeah. It just makes me basic, you know, it just, it just, yeah. It really... Sem- Semi is a basic bitch for that. I mean, that's all there is to say about it. It's just the most <laughs> basic thing you can make your nickname. Like, yeah. Lame. Yeah. Sorry. So that's my real down and dirty thoughts on semi the jedi there thanks for that appreciate it uh-huh you really took me on a whole journey all right let's jump over to this lightweight <laughs> bout drew dover rafael alves or rafael alves i should say and um this fight's this fight rules yeah fight violence badass no <laughs> question violence yep and um i have to pick drew dover yeah because like rafael alves he is top shelf. There, this guy has all the athleticism in the world needed to be a top five, top ten fighter. No question. Sure. Speed, power, dynamic, uh, quick, fast twitch, muscle leaping ability, ability to change directions and speed and everything you could need. It's mm-hmm. all right there. And it's connected to a mind that is so single track that I don't know that it will ever lead him past being in cool ass mid card fights like this. Yeah. Uh-huh. He's I mean he's I think he's an MMA Masters dude. Yes, yes, yes. And he has taken the core traits of that camp down to his bones. <laughs> what are the core traits? Because I, it's definitely a type of guy. When I see it, I know it. Yeah, but codify for me. What 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 are the traits of an MMA masters fighter? It is a dedication to power kicking. Yeah. It is a willingness to have any kind of fight that your opponent will bring to you. That is really the big trait. Yeah. Is that. It, there's a belief in that camp that they have an answer for everything that happens in the cage, but they don't ask any questions. 
Yeah. It's like, oh, you want to wrestle me? Well, you aren't prepared for my guard game. Oh, you yeah. want to you want to come forward and back and back me down? Well, you're not prepared for my counter punches. My my big wild counter punches I will throw off my back foot. And there's you also know? just a feeling of of complete disjointedness. Yeah. And there, it's a very single ideas, single threats kind of yeah. fighting style out of that camp. And that's kind of what I mean by there's an answer to everything, but there's no there are no questions being asked. Right. Whereas it's like, oh, you are going to do something to me? Well, I have formulated a single response to that. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. And I will try that. And if that breaks down and doesn't work, then I am stuck. Yeah. I am stuck having your fight that you wanted to have. Yeah. And, like, the thrilling part of it is that there's just, like, an underlying creativity there where they will just be able to pull out something violent yeah. and something instantaneous. There's an instantaneous response to any situation. Mm-hmm. You know, you have the Rafael Alves and the Mark Diakessi fight. Diakessi's like, I'm going to take you down. And Alves is like, okay, I'm going to choke the hell out of you. And that is instantaneous response. Mm-hmm. And it worked. It is instant and violent, and it was functional. Even our even our, our friend Josh Salmon had, had that going on, you know? Yeah. He was just the sweetest, nicest guy who ever strapped on fighting gloves. Mm-hmm. But he absolutely, it's just endemic to that whole team. This, Yeah, and um, I mean, do you look at Alves' fight with Demir Magulov? He gives up everything to Magulov in that fight. Yeah, yeah. But come the third round, he's still right there, ready to have the answer yeah. to whatever is Magulov does and make that fight still really hard. It works if you're just athlete. a yeah, it works if you're just a beast. Like yeah. you're a beast or you're like you're like Ricardo Lamas. You're like you're kind of a beast, but you're really clever. And Alves is not particularly clever, but he's a beast. Yeah. Oh, who was the who is the classic uh the backbone of that camp? Bob, I, mean, I always think of Gacy. Gacy. I always, think of Lamas as the the best no, MMA Masters I mean, fighter. He's the, he was the best MMA Masters fighter, but the the heart and soul of that camp is Luis Palomino. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And Palomino was a dude who, like, you go look at his record and you'll see a ton of losses on there. Awesome fighter. <laughs> awesome fighter. And yeah. totally a beast. And it's just an embodiment of who he was. Yep. You know? An athletic mess. Yeah. And Alves carries that, and that will make this fight hard on Dover because Dover is—he is down to scrap. He is hard-headed as hell. Yeah, and he can battle through any and all adversity and go to war. But he's not the—he's never going to be the cleanest, deepest technical fighter in the world. No, and he's—he's he's a good defensive fighter, but he's also. He he can he can be a little slow and predictable. Yeah. With his defense. And mm-hmm. so just getting into wild exchanges. It's also like this is a perfect fight where Drew Dober does really well and then decides he wants a takedown and gets guillotined. Yeah. Happen. Huh? I'm I'm going to ch- I'm gonna pick Dober to to gut it out and just win that fight and be yeah. hard headed, come forward win the exchanges, land the bigger punches. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Alves will have, he will be, there will be a moment in every round where he can turn this fight around and win it. So. Yeah. I just got to pick, Dober has the clean, he has the more process-driven Certainly. fight that he's going to try to have from the jump. Certainly. Yeah, but he's going to go right into the lion's jaws, man. I mean, he's oh, going to yeah. take will the fight. sit down in front of Alves and slug it out. Yeah. He will get kicked. He will get punched really hard. And he'll give it back. And it'll just be a question of can Dover take it all the way through and keep delivering. And I, I think he can. Mm-hmm. But if he can't for even a moment, Alves will be right there to make something happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't really even have a lot to add. I, I have to agree. I, I just have to pick Dober for uh, because I, I feel I can count on him. And yeah, he's he's just a much more consistent technical 
fighter with a much more consistent approach to fights that doesn't really even have to change much from opponent to opponent, but it's it's a style that works. Yeah. And Alves's style might work. Yeah, it can work against anybody on any given day. Absolutely, against anybody. But that's all you can give him again in any of those fights. There's a there's a, a positive and a negative. It might work against anybody, which also means it might not work against virtually anybody uh, yeah. unless they're completely outmatched physically. Yeah. And uh, Dober isn't. No, he's physically strong. He's a super powerful puncher. He's incredibly durable. And the guys who beat Dober don't just tend to be athletic freaks. They tend to be great athletes who have a, some profound technical advantage over him. Yeah, they tend to be more consistent than him. That's, Brad that's Bell it. is a more consistent striker. Islam Makachev is a more consistent wrestler. Benil Dariush is a more consistent grappler. You know, even Olivier Aubin Mercier was a more consistent wrestler and grappler. Yeah. Efren Espadero, Nick Hine, Sean... Sean Spencer, you you know, going yeah, Dober has transformed a lot over the years. Oh, so you have for to understand sure. that like at one point Sean Spencer was just a much more consistent boxer than Drew Dober. And Nick Hine was a more consistent wrestler than Drew Dober at the time. Yeah. Would Dober lose those fights today? I doubt it. I doubt it very much. Yeah, but, but he does also keep just getting hurt really early into his fights. Sure. <clears throat> um, not even early. I mean he got excuse me, he got hurt multiple times mid-fight against Brad Riddell because that's when Brad Riddell hurts people. Yeah, But you do have to be a little concerned that Terrence McKinney was able to do a very Rafael Alves type of thing. Oh, yeah. Just to run out and, like, gamble on the idea that if I'm going to hurt him, it's going to be right away and maybe that wins. Yeah. And Dober responded incredibly well, but he also did just get dropped right out the gate. Yeah, it's true. And But McKinney starts faster even than Alves. Like, McKinney starts at an insane pace that there's and a there was a lot that it works of so much for him is that it's a, it's insane by anybody's standards. Yeah, and there's a lot of he's got that fast starter fluidity too, where he's putting yeah. ideas together right away and trying to hold on to that initiative. And that is the thing a fighter like Alves does not have. There is no ability, no technical area that allows him to hold on to an advantage yeah. without like just say, getting not, the finish. It's not really about. It's not asking questions. It's it's answers. It's yeah. What are you going to bring to me? Oh, I've got the answer for that. You're 100 percent right. All right, uh, Dober is the favorite here. Opened at minus 300. Is currently up at minus 200. Alves opened at plus 250. Dropped down to plus 214. It's down at plus 164. So the odds are getting tighter all the time. All right, that brings us to a heavyweight bout: Dante Mays, Hamdi Abdelwahab, and um, the greatest prospect. In heavyweight history, a guy who's had like three pro fights, three to six fights. It's actually kind of difficult to tell which of them are like real pro fights and which aren't. And all they're all bare knuckle. Yeah, he had a, he, he did. He did the George. He, he's been fighting with the Jorge Masvidal uh, promotion that Masvidal has been uh, front manning. Is, is that and, what Masvidal's promotion does is bare knuckle MMA? Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't even realize that. Well, yeah, first of all, can I just say, this is really unrelated, but if it's going to be bare knuckle, it should be bare knuckle. Lose the wrist wraps. Yeah. You're just getting the worst of both worlds. You know, if it's yeah. bare knuckle, a major concern, a major strategic consideration should be, I might break my hand if I do anything wrong. Yep. Yeah. You shouldn't have that support. Um, anyway. Yeah, I mean, none of his opponents are good. It's very difficult to tell anything from these One fights. One of them he fought twice, and the dude looks like a, yeah. a you know, a, a man who was, who, who's been, like, comically, he, he looks like a, like, a, like a comic relief character in an old vaudeville sketch or something. <laughs> like, the way they used to do, like, fat, like, they'd have, like, they had, like, guys with, like, a hoop. In their pants, like an old clown with the suspenders <laughs> on the hoop and the huge pants. Uh-huh. The, guy, the guy has that kind of body where it's like I... super tall and thin, but then at some point he got really fat, but only right around his waist. Yeah, he's like, a, he's like, he's like 60% love handles. Yeah, I know yeah. exactly the guy you're talking about. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Abdel Wahabi had a fight against a man who was wearing a barrel with suspenders. Yeah, yeah. How crazy. Um, 
yeah, you can't tell anything. Like he, he he's confident against these these jabronis he's fighting. He runs out there and hits them once, and they're like, ouch. Yep. And then he mashes them. And I just can't pick that. I mean, I don't even no. have a whole lot of reason to 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 really believe in Dante Mays. Mays, by the way, I mean Jackson Wink. There's so much in common between them and MMA masters. I think Mays is still a Jackson Wink fighter, isn't he? Uh, he's listed at Bronx Hill MMA, but okay. Um, I know he's done some with Jackson Wink in the past. He has a very Jackson Wink yeah. style, yeah, which is a lot of cool ideas, no connective tissue. Um, as you said, I think a great way to say it, a lot of answers, no ability to pose questions. Um, but he's perfectly solid and he's very tough. Mm-hmm. And, um, aside from all of the like silly spinning shit he does in every fight, he's, yeah, he's, he's a perfectly solid fighter. There's no like obvious glaring weakness. And I would expect him to be able to be in there for three rounds and not get instantly KO'd. And, uh, at this point I have no reason to think that's not enough to, uh, to at least put a serious scare into Abdel Wahab, having never experienced that in an opponent before. Yeah, I mean, you can go back to the fight that Abdel Wahab had um, that you could find on uh, Fight Pass, I believe. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, yeah, I think Icon FC was on Fight Pass against Dustin Clements, where he actually mm-hmm. went into a round three. Mm-hmm. And... It was, you know, single punches from Abdel Wahab that would occasionally evolve into a brawl. Then Abdel Wahab would, would get an easy takedown and his opponent would just get back up because there's there's no top... He's yet to learn any top game uh, ground and pound. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no top functional top game from Abdel Wahab. His takedowns are purely control once he's got them. He's only had three fights. You know, it's just... It's not, a, there's not that level of development to his game yet. Mm-hmm. And Dante Mays is huge. Yeah. He's six foot too. six. And he has, he can be taken down, but he will, he will force multiple rounds out of an opponent. You know, like I believe Cyril Gon got him down multiple times. And I think even Rodrigo Nascimento may have. Um, <clears throat> Gon heel hooked him, didn't he? Yeah, let's see. Mays got taken down, yeah, by twice by Nascimento and three times by Gone and got heel hooked and sub. He got subbed in both those fights. So. Yeah, but um, um, Abdel Wahab hasn't no, submitted anyone. If I would have no reason to think he has any submission skills whatsoever. Yeah, yeah, he's not submitted anyone yet. He's not shown any proclivity for it, and. Maze fought through those rounds where he got taken down. Like he still found his way up, fought his way through, fought his way back, and created something. And I, yeah, it, this is just a level that if I'm if Abdel Wahab can just go out there and bully him and take him down for three rounds and throw him around and land big shots, then great. He looks like a world beater and he's got a great baseline skill set to develop on and he'll be, you know, he'll be building his game. But I got to take Maze for the moment. Yeah. I just don't have any faith that Abdel Wahab is ready for this step up and it's a big step up, you know. Dante Maze is is maybe one of the worst heavyweights in the UFC but he's a huge step up regardless. I mean, yeah, it is a huge step up from fighting a guy, uh, fighting a guy in a barrel. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Um, Fighting a guy who's wearing one of those like antique full body swimsuits. Yeah. With like a a little, a little cap with like a a little rag tied around his head with like two little knots poking out to keep his hair dry. Yeah. (laughs) Just go in there and smash that guy in his striped swimsuit. <laughs> why, why fighting silent film characters is funny to me, but yeah. All right, Adanta May is open to plus one hundred. It's currently down at minus one sixty nine. Hamdi Abdel Wahab opened at minus one twenty. Is currently up at plus one forty two. Yeah, I'm glad to see that. Uh, gamblers appear to have steered those lines in May's favor. Yeah. He, 
there's just too much we don't know about Double Hop and too much of his competition that does not look at all special. Yep. All right. That brings us to a lightweight bout. Drakkar Close, Rafa Garcia. And um, this is interesting for... I think it's a solid matchup. Yeah, it's one. it's a fight that... I guess it makes sense for Drakkar Close to... Like, whoever's managing Drakkar Close, I guess a fair play to them mm-hmm. for building him slowly back up from the Benil Darius knockout and the Jeremy Stevens thing. Yeah, just a confidence-shattering uh, yeah. loss and then a incredibly unfortunate thing at a weigh-in of all places, yeah. Yeah, the both of which were concussions. Yeah. So... Or I guess the 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 the, uh, the Stevens thing was thing like was whiplash, final right? like, whiplash. Yeah. yeah, things that should be considered. He should be, you know, they should be very careful with. And so problems for a fighter. Yeah, yeah. You come back and you fight Brandon Jenkins, wipe him out, no problem. Rafa Garcia is a step up from Brandon Jenkins. Yeah, not a huge step up the division, but it's still a significant step forward from that. So for sure. Fair play to that. It's still a fight that Drakkar Close should be able to handle. Mm-hmm. Because Rafa Garcia is a bit like... He's a bit like Lupe Godinez. Yeah, yeah. Where his game works best when every single inch of it is clicking. For sure. There's a good power punching game in there. There's a good power takedown game in there. There's a good power grappling game in there. But if an opponent can stop any part of that progression from happening, they can also just shut down his game altogether. Like, I wouldn't even say altogether. I mean, they, it it it's it's sort of it really cuts down on yeah. his winning chances. Yeah. The thing I like about Garcia is he's game, and he will give you a tough fight even if he can't do everything he wants to do. Yeah. Because he's just solid in every one of those phases. But yeah, it's, just, it's, it's just he can't dominate that, you. He can't take over the fight unless everything's working. Yeah, it's it's, it's notable that Chris Gritzmacher yeah. was able to stop that progression, right? By just, I don't even. It, it's weird to even know how he did it, just by being willing <laughs> to pressure back yeah. on Garcia enough. Whereas far far superior athletes, Nathan Nathan Livy. Levy and Jesse Ronson mm-hmm. both were just too defensively open and slow paced and willing to give Garcia the full range of fight he wanted over and over again to stop him, Garcia, from having the fight he wanted. Yep. Which is why I think the door is wide open here for a classic. Um, aggressive clinch performance from Drakkar Close. Yeah, it feels like if if Close is just willing to wade forward, yeah. walk into the clinch, be a heavy puncher inside, yep. mix it up with Garcia and fight the fight on Close's terms and force Garcia to try to have to out-wrestle Close, which has always been tough. Absolutely. And try to out-slug Close, which has always been tough. Then I think Close can win that fight. Yeah, the cl- the clinch has always been the place where Close's physicality is the biggest issue. Like, yeah, he's he's strong and he is a he's a pretty solid technical clinch fighter. Yep. Um, and that's that's just where he can overwhelm people, and I strongly suspect he will overwhelm Garcia in the clinch here. Yeah, but it's still going to gonna be a fight. I mean, that's yeah. Again, the good thing about Garcia, it's going to be a fight no matter what. But um, he he can't take over if you just take it to him. And, and sort of lock him out of the ability to, to phase shift. Yeah, it re- I mean, because it really is impressive to, like, to beat Umberto Bandanai and Jesse Ronson. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, these are, and, and Nathan Levy, these are not terrible fighters that Garcia has been able to implement his game. Mm-hmm. But it, it, is, it does say something that Chris Gritzmacher was able to do something that, like, Close is very capable of having Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And doing it with a lot more violence. 
Yeah, probably not even quite the same pace, but you don't need it. Like everything's going to yeah. hurt more and you have an ability to control minutes of the fight in a way that Gritzmacher never has. Yeah. All right. Odds on that bout. Gritzmacher, not Gritzmacher. Uh, <laughs> Garcia opened at plus 160, jumped up to plus 175, currently plus 180. Close opened at minus 185, is currently down at minus 224. Seems about right. Mm-hmm. All right, that brings us to a welterweight bout. Michael Morales, Adam Ujit. I really <laughs> want to pronounce it like fuck it. I know. I was. I already made that joke to Phil. I was like, this is how much they gave up when they got to the early prelims. They literally signed a guy named, eh, fuck, fuck it. Yeah, fuck <laughs> it. But, um... First initial, it becomes, hey, fuck it. Hey, fuck it. Yeah. Hey, fuck it. But, um... um yeah, 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 yeah. Go ahead. Um... Yeah, I mean, I, who cares? Um... Sure. My, Michael Morales is incredibly impressive, as a physical specimen, mm-hmm. he's powerful. He's fast. He looks insanely strong. Yeah, and um, and that's why like his his early uh, pre UFC career was almost entirely defined. I think he's billed as like an amateur boxer or something, but almost entirely defined by a very like um um. I mean, Mark Jacquesi is a name that comes to mind, mm-hmm. but there's another guy. I was just looking at him. He He's a loss on someone else's record. Semmelsberger. Um, uh, Carlton Minus. Yeah. Like crazy strong body lock wrestling with this. This is air of like desperation. Like he's, he's uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. I need to get here. But then once he gets his hands around his opponent's waist, it's like, Oh, you, you just can't get out. And he's going to yeah. fling you around. And he's one of those guys who's, looks like a great athlete and has the cardio to just keep using his athleticism. Yep. Pretty nonstop. Um, he also looks huge. I like on, on paper here, uh, Fugit is, uh, one inch taller, an inch taller. I don't know if he's going to look an inch taller. I mean, first of all, he's, he has a very hunched style, but also I think Morales is just going to seem bigger. Like he just looks like he has a hump. Yeah. And Morales looks like a guy who must cut a lot of weight to make 170. Mm-hmm. He looks very strong. Um, and then we did see, like, uh, w- weird that he brought it out for his UFC debut when you would expect more jitters than ever. We certainly expected the jitters that we'd seen before. Yeah. And suddenly he unveiled a little bit of confidence in his boxing. Well, at the very least, Trevin Giles just tried to go out there and take it to him. Yeah. And he forced Morales to have to actually just swing, swing and swing and and defend himself. Yeah, and yeah. That was a, a big difference maker. I could see Fu- I could see Fujit. Um, <laughs> I could see Fujit uh, doing the same because there is like a real funk to Fujit's game for sure. That if you're that is going to, I think it'll make Morales really uncomfortable in a hurry. Yeah, he had that fight with, um, uh, oh gosh, which one was it? It's a little short guy. Solomon Renfro? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, it was his last one. Yeah. That was like a really, really janky version of like Hermanson, Chris Curtis. Yeah, it was just constant kicks, body kicks, low kicks, body kicks, low kicks, just like, like a pad drill. Yeah, exactly. No setups. Just like, well, you're at my range. I'm just going to keep firing these. And then he surprised uh, Renfro with a with like a right hand. But it's yeah. like, what is to stop Morales from just being like, I'm going to run for it and grab you? Yeah, that it, it'll probably put that pressure on him. And yeah, um, you know, Fujit, uh, he has like he. I, one thing I do like is that he he has uh, he throws a really hard body kick with a with a left hand right behind it. Yeah, yeah, that's a classic. Um, just stepping into the kickoff or stepping into the punch off the kick. I think there's like a very good chance to to catch Morales hard with both of those. Sure. Um, but at the same time, he's also pretty consistently just kind of stepping in behind this these same strikes, and yeah, Morales should be able to time them and take them down. And 
we've you know you can even go back and see uh that like Kalen Hill fight where Hill just fired at, like over one of his kicks and just knocked him out. Yep. Yeah, he might just hit him on the counter. I mean, yeah. So I, I got to take Morales to be tougher, even if he's a lot less comfortable standing still. And then, yeah, if he can just get in and like beast him to the mat, I I think he'll probably take over there. Mm-hmm. But you know, at, at the very least, like I said, I, I'm I'm interested with foot foot. Fujit's big for welterweight, and he's got a style that he's crafted very particularly to, to work to his length. So he should be he should provide a few fun action fights in the division for as long as he sticks around. Mm-hmm. Uh, odds on the bout: Morales is minus open at minus five hundred. Is currently minus six nineteen. Uh, Fujit opened at plus 385, jumped up to plus 445, is currently at plus 429. I guess I like the look of Morales. I am still a little tentative about his striking. It is oh, yeah. very uncomfortable. Oh, and yeah. if, if Fujit just comes out there and, like, like I said, just hits him with a body kick and a left hand behind it, he, he, could, he could hurt him. Yeah, you know? he he might just rapidly improve overnight though. He's that kind of athlete. Yeah, he, and he's he twenty. Definitely. He's twenty three years old. Like, yeah, there's very likely a fight very soon where we're like, oh, Morales has worked on one thing and it has just completely transformed his his game. Yeah, it, it's one of those things where, especially if being in the UFC and getting a little more money gets him into a better coaching environment, a more yeah. co- competitive coaching environment you could see transformation really just quick. using his jab would be a transformation yeah. i think like you know you're a hard puncher you don't even have to wind up just pop people from range and yeah. he's got a good jab on the rare occasions when he remembers to use it so yeah a slight change in coaching could be big but yeah he's just too physical there's no reason to yeah. think that if you can handle his his athleticism all right that brings us to a woman's bantamweight bout Jocelyn Edwards, Ji Young Kim. And Edwards dropping all the way from featherweight down to flyweight for this fight. Is it flyweight? Topologist yeah. is bantamweight. Oh, is it bantamweight? Ji Young Kim's moving up? Okay, that makes sense then. Yeah. Doesn't make me more confident about Kim. No. Um, no, but it, yeah, it says, at least on topology, it says bantamweight. Let's see. This is this is me, isn't it? Damn it. Okay. <laughs> Women's band with Pat Johnson, Edwards, Gian Kim, and Earth is a struggle. Uh huh. Kim has been long been the fighter at flyweight, where she's a test of what you know and what you can approach her with. And if there's any variety to your game at all, yeah. you can beat her. Uh, I don't think Priscilla Cachoeira beat her, to be perfectly frank. Mm-hmm. But she was able to even just then wade through the volume and land her own shots and do enough damage to make it a question. And to fool judges. Um, but yeah, all, I mean, the gri- all the grit for which Korean fighters are known and very yeah. little else. Yeah. There's just a con- constant trigger counter game. Yeah. Some one two when she gets a chance to lead, lots of one twos. Yep. And that's it. You Wanna know. Want to trade? Want to trade? Yeah. That's her. Style. And if you're willing to bring anything else to the table, you can beat her. Yep. And I don't know, Edwards. how to explain jocelyn edwards i mean yeah again there are things about her game that are good and the the crazy thing i I know i've said this before if you go back earlier in her career yeah you actually see way more technical striking out of her yeah like you actually see her using her jab and throwing combinations and it's like a world of difference i don't know what happened that she got away from that yeah, and it's weird, too, because she's listed as fighting out of King's MMA, which I would expect to 
make her more like solid meat and potatoes. Yeah. Thing, right. Yeah. yeah. Really bring more fundamental, just confidence and control out of her. That Pasquale fight though, was just a mess. Yeah. It was terrible. I mean, she won it, but Pasquale looked terrible and Edwards did not do a lot with it. I'm going to pick Edwards. Um, I just think that Jeon Kim is in a... She is in the struggle. And the biggest thing that has me worried about her moving up is that... I think as she's trying to grow her game, she's losing power. I think she might be losing confidence in her ability to sit in the pocket and trade with people. And... If that's going, then not a lot of the rest of her game adds up to much. And Edwards is still going to be the bigger, harder hitter. And if if if, uh, if, if uh, Cashawera can fool judges to do to get a win over Gian Kim at this point, I think Edwards can strike that dynamic. Mm-hmm. I think okay. Edwards has just enough variation in her striking to pass the the Gian Kim test. Yeah. Yeah, it looks by the way like uh Edwards by uh, judging by Instagram does most of her training at Dominance MMA. Okay. I don't think she, I've never I've never seen Cordero in her corner. So no, yeah, uh, or Verdum. I don't know if Verdum still runs his uh, Kings MMA affiliate or not, but I've never seen a, a, a recognizable Kings personnel in her corner. So I think that might just be a topology error. Yeah, I, I mean, I tend to agree. I, I just don't think like the, the the door is wide open for Edwards to fight a really. I think if she's ever going to bring back that smart striking game, now is the time. Like, yeah, um, you have a what has to be a huge physical advantage. Five, seven, 72 inch reach for Ji Young Kim. Uh, five, eight, 70 inches, actually. She can absolutely fight like a longer fighter. She's also got very long legs. Mm-hmm. Um. And she's solid in the clinch, which is a great way to sort of bypass those 50-50 trades, uh, where at the very least she she will grab a collar tie and work knees. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I'll pick her for the same reason as you, for variety. That tends to be the thing that ji Kim just can't keep up with. Mm-hmm. Um, and it to, like, sort of soothe Edwards' like anxiety a bit. The, the other thing about Edwards is that she's never more dangerous than when the opponent hits her. Like she really, yeah. really has a built in desire to get it back, whatever it is. And we'll just try to storm forward and overwhelm an opponent. So this could turn into quite a wild fight. Definitely. Um, yeah, but it's going to be a mess too. Uh, I'll, mm-hmm. I'll take Edwards cause she, she kicks and clinches and that's about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm just not confident at all about you and Kim going back up to Bantamweight. Like, no. doesn't really seem like... like I say, the, the the thing I that feels like was happening in the Cachoeira fight, it's like she's... And the the Molly McCann fight, is like she's just not that powerful. For yeah. she's, she's taking Sting off of her punches to try to avoid having these wars. Because she used to be like, you know... On the way up, she was kind of seen as like, oh, she hits really, she she hits harder than her competition. That's like mm-hmm. one of the big notable things about Jian Kim. Mm-hmm. And it just, that doesn't seem to be true at this yeah. point. And without that being true, she's just mixing it up with people. Um, and not mixing it up enough. Yeah. Kim opened at minus 150, is currently at plus 109. Edwards opened at plus 130, is down at minus 133. All right, that brings us to a light heavyweight bout. Nikolai Negomarianu against Ihor Potiera. Potiera or something? Potiera. I don't know. know. Yeah. It's something. Um, And, uh, yeah, go for it. Light heavyweight fight. Potiera looks... Kind of solid. 
Yeah, he looks okay. Yeah, he's, you know, like um, a, a lot of his opponents that I've seen are not comfortable strikers. And yeah, he's, he has been can crushing. He is very much the identity. Like when you think of Ukrainian regional scene, <laughs> yeah. that is the dude that Poteria, Poteria has been fighting. Does he have any um, incredibly unlikely submissions? No. He no. mostly just knocks people out. Oh, there's a heel hook. Oh, there's a heel hook. Okay. That, that's that's the way it should be. One heel hook from way back in the day. It's not quite Krylov level. Uh, like He's got like 19 key locks yeah. from, his, from his first 20 fights. Um, yeah, so he mostly like he's a, he's a confident and powerful striker. Mm-hmm. There's a little bit of craft mostly revolving around shifting in and yeah. like, anticipating where an opponent is going to weave away from the first punch so you can lunge in and meet them with the second. And also just anticipating that the guy you're facing cannot handle you. Yeah, yeah. Driving forward on him, being confident and squaring yourself up in front of him. Yeah, and um, and so most of his opponents just like have to wrestle him. Either they start to fight thinking that or they get hurt and then they go into desperation wrestling. And, um, you know, to put Potieri's credit, like you can you can write off a lot of his competition, but uh, the guy he fought on the Contender Series was okay. Mm-hmm. And it was the same thing. Yeah. Where he, the guy... He hits, definitely hits hard enough that you can expect him to hurt most of the people he fights. Yeah. And he'll probably hurt Nega Mariano, and it probably won't sure. make a difference. Yeah. I just think um, this is like a, a a rude awakening in the making. Should be. Where Nega Mariano is completely willing to rely on durability and just wang punches back. He's yep. not uh, of a process-driven fighter. His fights go disastrously wrong very early, but it's it's exactly the kind of disastrously wrong with which he is comfortable. Yep. And uh, so, yeah, it, it's it basically it's, this is when we find out how does Potieria feel about trading with a big, powerful fighter? Yep. Who is just happy to trade with him every single time he wants to land. And I don't suspect there's enough craft there to um, to kind of like dampen a firefight if need be. Yeah, like, I don't I don't see anything in Potieria's game that suggests he can he can maintain distance, that he can work a jab, that he just has to lunge in to hurt people. And that's all, that's what he really brings to the table. And yep. His most experienced opponent that he's ever faced was 17 and 18 Felipe Nassou. Uh And that guy took him to a split decision. Yep. You know. Yep, he either tends to knock you out early or it's pretty close. Yep. So I think that, yeah, at this point, I we've learned enough about Nega Mariano to know that the big things that he's got going for him are durability and cardio. Mm-hmm. Like he will just, he's going to be tough as hell and he's going to be right out, he's going to be out there going, like slugging it out with you, pushing forward, making the fight ugly all the way through. And if you can't actually technically take over, it's going to be a very hard fight. Mm-hmm. And it does not seem like uh, Potieria can take over. Agreed. But, you know, he, he's also, he's 6'3 with some real legit power. So it could just be that, you know, like light heavyweight is a division made for dudes like that. To just big athletes who with power who can be wild. To just go out and ice ice people at random, so mm-hmm. he's got a chance for it to be a coming out party. I just don't expect it. Uh, Potieria is the favorite. Very small odds. Open at minus two hundred. Was trailing along pretty consistently by, by minus one seventy eight, and he jumped from minus one seventy eight to minus one thirty two in the past week. So I think as gamblers are starting to sniff that fight out, they're they're looking a little closer at that record of his. Mm-hmm. Nega Mariano opened at plus 170, dropped to plus 147, dropped from plus 147 to plus 108 in the past week. So I expect Nega Mariano will be a very slight favorite come fight night. That brings us to a welterweight bout. Orion Kosi, Blood Diamond, and... Um, <laughs> 
yeah, this is a two true outcome fight. And I think really it's probably going to be a one true outcome fight, which is that Blood Diamond can't wrestle. Uh, especially can't grapple, more importantly than being unable to wrestle. <laughs> and Orion Kosi is actually a really reasonably good takedown artist who has a decent top game. It's not great. He's a little clingy. He's a little... Un- he doesn't know exactly what to do with good positions once he gets them. But I think... Mr. Diamond uh, is going to feel like such a novice on bottom that that's not going to feel like a problem in this fight. You know? Yeah. Like, it's it's just not a situation where Kosi is likely to get a takedown and be like, oh man, if I posture up, this guy's going to escape. Yeah. And the the biggest problem for uh, I mean, I know his name is actually Mike Pateta, but he said he wants his his ring name to be Blood Diamond, so I'm just going to keep calling him Mr. Diamond. Because um, just calling him Diamond <laughs> seems really weird. Mr. Yeah. Diamond. Mr. Diamond is good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the problem for Mr. Diamond is like, Jeremiah Wells isn't a great technical shot wrestler. No, no, not exactly. And Wells got in and eventually just got in on a body lock and hulked Mr. Diamond to the mat. Yep. And it took some doing. You know, he comes out of that city kickboxing camp and they have turned kickboxers into counter wrestlers with decent results over the years. Yeah. But the kind of takedown that got him down, if you watch Orion Kosi versus Philip Rowe, yeah. Kosi went out and he hit that takedown with ease immediately on row. Just straight out of the gate. No yeah. thought. Second nature, upper body lock, throw, trip throw takedown, right off the bat, right into good position. And he kept that position for most of the round. Yep, and he just ran him to the fence immediately, like even before the takedown was just completely yep. controlling him, looking for it. And he started the second round doing the exact same thing. Yeah. And Roe is a much better, calmer grappler than Mr. Diamond here. Mm -hmm. And so I just think if Kosi goes out and he hits that same thing, he's going to get the takedown more easily. And even if he doesn't have the same violent proclivities as Jeremiah Wells, he's going to find a person underneath him who has enough little enough ideas to how to resist that he's just going to run him over. Yeah. That that is 100% my take on the fight. Yeah. Ryan Coast, you know exactly what he's going to do and we the only serious test I've ever seen Mr. Diamond go up against uh was losing to that exact thing. Yep. It's too bad cuz like maybe there's something fun to be made out of Blood Diamond in the UFC, but it needs to be like Fights with uh oh who who was it that uh oh, oh like Martin Sano you know yeah yeah this almost feels like punishment matchmaking like yeah he, he like the, he he talked an incredibly massive game he was trying to do the Terrence McKinney thing like yeah uh, I'm this personality there was almost this feeling when like the weeks leading up to this fight where like there was a pressure to be like like you were supposed to feel that you, of course you, you haven't heard of blood diamond yeah, blood yeah. Diamond. he's going to be the new sensation that's how he was building himself and he goes in and just completely shits the bed against jeremiah wells and now they're like well you know what fight another wrestler prove it yeah and that's kind of like, how it feels it's too bad because i think there's something to be done there but you know he, he it would it would take handling and this isn't this is a guy with three mma fights yeah. this isn't handling whoever his manager is they're not doing him any any favors here yeah so unfortunate but just the way it is really? who knows for all we know he's the kind of guy where he wanted to fight a wrestler to prove he could beat it yeah time. maybe but even then that's poor management 
Yes, yeah. it is. You should tamp down your fighter's worst impulses. Be like, how about yeah. we get a win first, and then you yeah. can try testing yourself. Blood Diamond opened at plus 130. It's currently at plus 150, so those odds are climbing, but they're a lot closer than I would think, given how his debut went. Uh, and I know Kosi's debut didn't go great, but Philip Rowe is a much, much, much more experienced opponent than Blood Diamond. Kosi opened at minus 150. He's currently down at minus 174. So, all right, on that note, you can find me on Twitter at these ain't Simon. You can find Con on Twitter at Boxing Bush. You can find both of us over at BloodyObo.com. Give us a like, subscribe to our podcast, BloodyObo presents on SoundCloud, YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, all those good places. And we will be back in one week's time for UFC on ESPN, Santos versus Hill. So check us out then and see you later. Thank you for listening to this Bloody Elbow Presents production. To check out more of our content, hop over to the Bloody Elbow Presents SoundCloud and iTunes pages, as well as subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is titled Bloody Elbow Presents. We are also on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, Overcast, Player FM, and Amazon Music. Just search for Bloody Elbow Presents and you will get brand new shows throughout the week, including Care Don't Care, The Mookie and Crookie Show, The MMA Vivisection, The Level Change Podcast, The Sixth Round Post-Fight Show, Sixth Round Retro, The MMA Depressed Us, Crooklyn's Corner, Exclusive Fighter Interviews, Show Money, and Radio-Style Play-By-Play for every UFC pay-per-view. Be sure to also follow us on Twitter, at Bloody Elbow, Facebook, at Facebook.com slash Bloody Elbow Blog, and as always, on BloodyElbow.com.